There's history, Lord God, that's being written day by day. And we thank you, Lord God, that the history is his story. The story of Jesus loving us enough to come and die, Lord God, that death on the cross for us. And so we thank you for that tonight. Father, as we come to your word, we just ask you, Lord God, to, to cause us to have wisdom and understanding, Lord God. Just uh, We thank you, Lord God, for the investment that you made in us. And we pray, Lord God, that that word would take root in us, Lord God, change and transform us, Lord God, and send us out, Lord God, to change the darkened world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to continue tonight in our uh, study in the general epistle of Jude. We're going to be in chapter 3 tonight. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Everybody's going to laugh. This is the, the, the new expanded version of this. No, folks, we're going to continue this. Like I said before, this was a general epistle and letter written uh, to the church at large, not necessarily a church that was directed towards a, a particular body or dealing with a particular uh, issue within a certain congregation or geographical area, which so many of them were. But this general epistle of Jude was just written, and it's, it's timeless because some of the, uh, the things that Jude was addressing there are, are things that are still being addressed now in the church. And so as you're looking at that, remember that. But remember, uh, Jude's primary purpose was to expose false teachers and the teachings that found their way into the early church, namely that, that uh, a teaching that reduced basically grace as a license to sin rather than an empowerment to live holy. Does that sound any bit familiar in our day and age? Amen. And so this week, what I want to focus on is, is something really interesting and, and, and very misunderstood uh, in regards to Jude's uh, confrontation of false teachers. Now, what we're going to get in tonight is it's, it's probably kind of, especially within our circles, I'll say our circles because, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the Holy Ghost crowd and all, and all that type of stuff. So, you know, we're usually at the front line with goofiness many times. We, we are. Let's just take credit for a lot of that stuff. And I think the reason being is because uh, when, when, when our quote-unquote movement, when the, when the Pentecostal, the Spirit-filled movement came out, we were so tired of the dead, dry stuff that, man, we'd grab anything to come up the pike. And a lot of stuff that comes up the pike ain't worth grabbing. And so we'll do that. We'll gravitate towards anything that looks spiritual or whatever else, and we'll question it later. And so the reason I say that this is it, because Jude was addressing us back here. This general epistle addresses things that, that we've been guilty of. I, I'll just put it this way, that I've been guilty of that uh, years ago that I had to uh, take another look at it biblically and say, God, okay, what are you saying? What do I need to do? How can I get past something that I embrace traditionally, but I cannot defend biblically? See, folks, there's a lot of things that I may think up here, but if I can't defend them out here, it doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not going to defend anything that I can't go line upon line, precept upon precept, and begin to defend those things. I'm not beholden to anything but the Word of God. You've heard me say many times, if you don't have Bible, you don't have anything. There's no defense. I have people on the streets all the time saying, you know what, uh, I don't want to debate you. And Now, these are heathens. I'm like, well, good, because you can't. You don't have a foundation of debate because you don't have a foundation of truth in your life. And so, folks, really, when it comes to a foundation of truth in our life, then we have a discussion. So that's what's going to happen here. And this 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 issue that he's addressing uh, may come to surprise, surprise you as we look at verses 8 to 11. But it's the issue of modern-day spiritual warfare. Modern-day spiritual warfare. And I'm going to read these, 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 these four verses. I touched on one of them just a little bit last week within the context of, of that subject matter. But I'm going to continue down into verse 11. It says unto them, Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed uh, uh, about the body of Moses. He did not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord is going to rebuke you. But these speak evil of those things which they do not know. But what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. He says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and they ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, of Korah. And I'm going to read another translation to you. It says, In the same way, these people who claim authority from dreams, they really live immoral lives. They defy authority and they scoff at supernatural beings. But even as uh, Michael, one of the, uh, the mightiest angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. And this took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Uh, like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and they bring about their own destruction. Uh, what sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their 
rebellion. And so, folks, what this text reveals is, is really a very common trap that we as Christians, and I say we because we've, we, we've fallen into that, I'm sure every one of us on some level or another, is the usurpation of spiritual authority. In other words, there's an authority that God establishes, and we usurp that authority, or we try to step above something that we don't have authority to do so in. And so what he's uh, dealing with, and you'll look at the, at the, the people he, he mentioned, he mentioned Cain, usurping the authority of God in regards to, to life. Usur uh, we look at Balaam, usurping the authority of God in regards to that, 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 that prophetic word. We're looking at Korah, usurping the authority of God in regards to the leadership that God had established. So what we see is a pattern of rebellion against a higher authority. Every single one of these issues rebelled against something above them. So that becomes the context of what Jude is addressing right here in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. And so this is really kind of a, a do and do not lesson on where we should tread and where the Bible says don't tread. And folks, you've heard that phrase where angels fear to tread. Well, it's speaking of what he's speaking of right here in Jude. There's a place that not even angels go. And so the scripture talks about us in, in regards to authority of being a little bit lower than the angels at this point. And Jesus coming in the form of man was made just a little bit lower than the angels in the form of man. Thus putting us primarily in that exact same type of place. And so there's a place that, that, that we need to operate in, a realm of authority that we have. But there's also a realm of authority, folks, that we can parade and parade all we want to. We just do not walk in. So I want you to look at some things that we need to observe from those four verses. Number one, uh, speaking of those, those folks that he named by name, it says they attempt to claim authority based upon their dreams. And so something gave me a revelation. I got a dream about something. I did this. And so what does that thing do? He says they base those things upon these things that cannot be verified in the Word of God. And so if I get something that's intangible in relationship to the Word, what am I doing? I'm usurping the authority of God's Word. That's why the Word says that, that, that we have a, a, a better revelation. We have a, a living Word. We have a, a truth. There's a, there's a revelation that's come through the Word of God that we have to measure everything against. And if we can't measure it against that Word, what do we need to do with it? Say, well, that's real nice. That was entertaining, but I can't do anything with it. And so he addresses that specifically. He said, they want to claim authority. You said this because I had a dream. We're not talking about I had a dream that one day my two sons will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character type of dream. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody says, well, God showed me something, or I had, I had this experience in, in, in hell, or God I've sent an angel, or I had this conversation with Jesus, and we're saying, well, listen, he's speaking something so contrary to his word. Now, folks, if you'll look at the marks of, of, of some of the, the I'll say Christian base, because they use Christian terminology, but they're non-Christian, cults that have sprung up in North America in the last couple of hundred years. You take Mormonism, for instance. Now, what happened with Mormonism? You, you, had, uh, you had Joseph Smith who claimed he had a dream. And he had, these, he had the, 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 the angel Moroni come to him. Well, what does he do? He created an unverifiable place of authority. So he usurped the authority of God's word, and he created an un, uh, unverifiable thing. You see the same thing with Charles Taz Russell and the Jehovah Witnesses and the Watchtower Society. It's God gave me a revelation, or I got this, this, this special ability. Well, needless to say, he, he, when the, 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 the angel showed up and gave him that word, he, he just happened to have plagiarized about 80% of the King James Bible in the process. But, you know, an angel nonetheless. And so you see where they, they, they utilize these things, and they claim a spiritual authority that they do not possess. The second thing that they did says they bring a defilement or a corruption to themselves. Folks, here's a great danger. A great danger is this. When we speak on behalf of God, when God is not speaking. You know what that does? That defiles us spiritually. And he says they defile themselves by saying what? Behold, this said the Lord. When God didn't really behold say anything. Folks, I got news for you. This is a personal rule. You can do how, how, however you want to handle it. But when God speaks, he doesn't need a byline. You understand what I mean? You look at a newspaper article, and there's a byline. So you know who wrote the article. God doesn't need that. If God speaks... All I got to do is say it. I don't have to say stop for just a second. I got a prophecy for you. All I got to do is speak. And if it's God's word, what does it carry? It carries weight. Now, nobody may even know I'm prophesying in that sense. But they're going to get a prophetic word. They're going to get a word that carries the weight of the scripture. I, I don't have to present it, quote unquote, in a traditional sense of prophecy. I don't have to present it in a, in a traditional sense or, or one that, that says, oh, that's a prophetic word. Why? How can you tell? Well, could, could you tell their cadence? Couldn't you tell the style? Couldn't you say, hear what they said? 
Well, I don't care the style. I don't care the, 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 the modus operandi of it. What I want to see is the truth and the power and the authority of that word. Rather than saying, sister, listen, I got a word. God, God's got a word for you. Well, bypass that. Just give me the word. And I'll tell you if it's from God or not. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit whether they are of God. You give me the word and I'll tell you whether it's from God. Shouldn't that be the way that we operate? But it says they defile themselves and they corrupt themselves. Why? Because they're coming and speaking to you as God. The word says that his sheep know his voice and another they will not follow. Now, somebody can come and tell me, well, well uh, Pastor Troy, Melanie said this. I can tell within the first three or four sentences whether that's something Melanie would say. Why? Because I know Melanie. If somebody can come and say, well, 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 PT come and told me to tell you that. She's going to know in a minute whether that's something I would say, whether it's consistent with who she's known for 30 plus years of her life. She's going to know that. But what they've done is they brought defilement or corruption because they spoke for one that they really didn't speak on behalf of. The third thing that they did, they rejected the biblical standard in regards to operating in authority. Folks, listen, God operates in authority. He sets up a, pro, a divine protocol. Everything operates within those parameters of authority. We step outside of those pro, uh, those priorities and those, uh, the, those that level of authority. Where are we at? We're in a place of rebellion. We walk right back to that same place. But folks, here's the thing. The word says that promotion doesn't come. I believe that's Psalm 75 from the north, south, east, and west. But it says that God raises up one and he puts down another. And so who's the one that establishes authority? It's God. So who chooses the authority that's over us? It's God, isn't it? And so when God begins to establish that authority, we operate under the authority. We submit ourselves under authority as unto God. Now, I'm not talking about like the old shepherding movement. I'm not talking about a, some type of totalitarian type of mentality or, 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 or dominating leadership. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we can submit ourselves to people as unto the Lord that operate within the character and the nature of God, not saying, well, listen, I, I really like you. I like you because you don't put a lot of pressure on me, so I'm going to submit to you. Or, brother, you know what? Man, you just look too harsh. I don't like your attitude. I'm not going to submit to you. Folks, submission doesn't come from us. Submission comes from above to us. But what they did is they, 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 they reduced the biblical standards of authority to something that they desired to create themselves. The fourth thing they did, they used abusive or scurrilous language in dealing with supernatural beings. You ever use scurrilous language? You use abusive language? I'm not talking about profanity. I'm talking about things that are outside the realm of authority, outside the, the, the realm of being prudent. I'm talking about people that are, that are calling the devil names and they're doing all these types. That's what scurrilous is. It means that they're, they're saying things that you don't, you don't have an ability to say. It. Folks, from my position, and you've heard people say this before, you know, I've been preaching the gospel a long time. I, not just in full pitch, but I've been preaching in the streets a long time. I've been preaching on Bourbon Street for many, many years. I've spent... Countless hours in that place sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a result of that, as a result of that, I can operate in that environment in a level of authority that maybe somebody that hasn't put that time in can't. Period. Why? Because that's home for me. I feel just as comfortable in the pulpit, which is called the 500 block or any place in between, as I do right here today. Why? Because I've taken authority, I've invested the time, I've been diligent in those times, so I can say things, I can call people out without any fear of reprisal. Why? Because when I'm in that place, because that's a mandate that God's given me, I'm in charge. I'm not intimidated by the six foot four drunk uh, college student, I'm not intimidated by the guy that comes and says, he's, I'm not intimidated by those things. Because God's the one that put me in that place, and God's the one that's going to keep me in that place. And so when you operate within that, I don't have to, 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 to stand and, and use all this scurrilous type of thing against anything. Why? Because I'm right there where God wants me to be. But sadly, folks, all of those things that I mentioned that were happening to you, all those things that we've seen, we've seen those happen within this thing that we call the spiritual warfare movement. And here's where the, 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 they spend the time shouting at the devil. They, 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 they attempt to take on all these territorial spirits and sprinkling oil and, 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 and going to the gates of the city. You've heard all this. You've done all this stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You, you fly around in helicopters and you're, you're binding and loosing devils and you're doing all this stuff that seems so spiritual and so powerful and you shake and you buck and you jive and you do all these things. Well, that's what he's addressing right here in Jude. And so what makes this for great drama uh, and, and great book sales and videos and conferences, it lacks in solid biblical teaching. Folks, just because something is entertaining does not mean it's biblical. 
Just because something that caters to, to some uh, primal need that I have to be more than I really am or to think of myself more highly than I do does not mean that it's biblical. Just because it uses biblical words doesn't mean that it's biblical truth. So I want to look at uh, specifically at verse 8 just for a moment tonight. Here's what he said. He said, in the same way, he said, these people who claim authority from their dreams, they live immoral lives, they defy authority, and they scoff at supernatural beings. Let me ask you a, a real question tonight. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I bind the devil and I send him back to hell where he came from? Yeah. You ever said that? Where did you get that from? I've asked this question before, maybe not in this teaching, but can you show me one place in the Bible that says the devil's ever been in hell? He's not there, is he? Why? What is he called? He's called the prince and the power of the air. Now, we know from the revelation, one day he's going to be bound, and it's not going to be by you. And it's not going to be by me. He's going to be bound. He's going to be put there for a thousand years. We know that that's going to happen. And so you can bind him. You can do all that. You know what he's going to say to you? He's like, where did you get that? You don't have authority to do that. So what does he do? He's still doing his thing. Or you said, you know, you found spirit. I'm going to do such and such to you. And what? Is there a statute of limitations on that? Because he's back the next day. You see what I'm saying? But we play that stuff out and it sounds so authoritative and all of these things that we do. So, or have you ever heard somebody, uh, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I bind the spirit of poverty. Yep. Or I bind the spirit of violence over a city and I lose such and such or, or, or whatever else. I, you know, you, you, you hear what I'm saying? And so I bind, bind those things. Folks, I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit us, and all over the city, they had these spiritual warfare and prayer tents that were popping up. Maybe some of us hung out in them. There's one, some friends of mine had one. I stopped by once, let's go pray or whatever else. And maybe I didn't hit it at peak time, but they said, oh, yeah, we had some tremendous spiritual warfare, and we were uh, we were binding murder off the city. Well, the problem was is they kept killing people. So somebody missed their target a little bit because that year people were still getting murdered. We bind poverty, but the broke folk were still broke. They bound corruption, but last I looked the other day, our mayor during Hurricane Katrina was on trial for corruption. But they bound perversion, but the first street in full swing was Bourbon Street. Yeah. And so if that was real and genuine authority, what would happen? There would be a response to that authority. And so we can't walk in this manufactured authority because here's what it leaves us doing. Then we have to hum haw around and we've got to paint a false picture and say, but, but listen, let me tell you what really did happen. Oh, but let me tell you, you didn't see it in the natural, but you see what I'm saying? Now we've got to go back to relying upon dreams. Folks, when God does something, it's tangible. It's verifiable. Amen. And it's enduring. We don't have to paint this false picture and paint something up that's just going to get us headlines or, or, or get us a, 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 a flesh feasting uh, uh, goosebumps or something else. We can stand up on the word of God because I can show you where I have victory and I don't have to, to make it up or, or mesmerize someone with a false tale of some spiritual authority that I don't walk in. So what did happen when those things were going on? Well, nothing happened. You see, we hate to admit that stuff. Somebody lost a little breath. Somebody put some money in their pocket. Somebody, you know, got a newsletter out. Somebody did whatever. And they said all this great stuff that they were doing because Hurricane Katrina meant the cleansing. And so they were going to come and be the agents of cleansing from all the, the, the earth. Now, where are those people at now? They left when people stopped writing the checks and CNN stopped broadcasting the television and churches stopped inviting them in. Nothing happened, at least not as a result of people storming around or shouting at the sky or ordering evil spirits around. But maybe just from people demonstrating his love in other people's life. You ever thought about maybe that's why things happen? Because people actually did walk in truth. That there were people that, 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 that loved this city. And they really witnessed the people. Maybe it's because people helped their neighbors in need. People said, you know what? That lady down the street, her fence fell down. And they actually went and helped her stand her fence up. And they shared with her because she had lost her husband a few years earlier. And, and they got to talk to her about eternity. Maybe that's why things changed. Or, or, or maybe they shared the, the, the word of, of God on, on the streets or somewhere else where, where people were having need. Maybe, maybe that's what, what really happened. Or, or, or those are the things that made you produce something. See, we forget that what really produces things is when we just walk in obedience to what God says to do. God's not looking for some new thing. He's not looking for another agenda. God is not, not looking for the latest and the greatest and the thing that's, that's grabbing the headlines. God is just looking for a faithfulness and a consistency in people. I've said this before, folks. I want to be the most boring, predictable person around. 
Now, I don't mean being boring in, in, in the sense that, you know what, man, I don't even listen to that guy. But I mean boring in the sense that, man, you know what, <laughs> 10 years from now, what's that guy going to do? Man, he's still going to be doing the same thing as the Lord carries. He's still going to be preaching the word. He's still going to be winning the lost. I want that to be my testimony. I don't want him to say, man, he he figured out something or or whatever else. He got on a, 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 the headlines. I'm not waiting for something to happen. I'm not trying to achieve something. Every day that I get up, that may be my last day. I want to occupy until he, does, he comes. And I want to do as much as I can with as much as I have right now. I want to make the most of it. Why? Because he may come this day, the master of the house, and he may require my soul of me, and I want him to find his servant so doing. And so I'm not looking for something else. I'm looking for someone else. I want to be faithful when he splits the eastern skies. I want to be like Paul the Apostle said. There's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me, and not just for me, but for all that love is appearing. I want to love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to sing in my spirit, even so quickly come, Lord Jesus, and do your diligence to come shortly unto me. That's what I want in my life. So I'm going to show you where spiritual warfare uh, that really needs to be fought. And it's a battle against our old natures and against our standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil. Let's look about something here because people are thinking this in their mind tonight, even if they haven't said it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, 12 through 8. Think, like, yeah, now I got you. That's where I'm going to go to. Ephesians 12, 8. What about that, preacher? Well, do you think I would ever turn there if it was a what about that? Here's what he said. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's the visual that you have on that? We don't wrestle. I remember back in uh, the early 90s, somebody gave me a, a, a Christian T-shirt, uh, Brother John 3.16 may remember this, but it had, it had like a wrestling thing on it. It had John 3.16 on it. Well, my background in high school and in junior high, I was, I was in wrestling, so I thought that was really a cool shirt. So, man, I'm wrestling with the devil, toe-to-toe -to -toe It's just a cool shirt. You know, I like my shirt. But he goes on to say, he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, somebody say above all. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you might be able to quench all the fiery uh, darts of the wicked one. And he said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Folks, we're talking about wrestling. And like I'm saying, you guys of the, the, this... Uh, WWE generation. You know what I'm saying? The, the World Wrestling Entertainment. So when you're thinking of wrestling, you're thinking of body slams and drop kicks. You're thinking about coming off the cage. You're thinking about Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. You're thinking about John Cena. You're thinking about The Undertaker. Now, folks, that's not what he's talking about, okay? He's not talking about you locked into the battle and the drama of it and who's going who's gonna to win and it's teetering. And, and just when you think it's going to be the three count, he raises his shoulder all of a sudden or he's getting choked out and all of a sudden the referee raises his hand and, and he starts pumping his fist and he fights his way out of the grip. That's not what he's talking about here. But we want to we try to spiritualize these things that we've been inundated with through the entertainment industry. And it's not that. It doesn't necessarily equate to engaging the enemy in hand-to-hand -hand combat but rather speaks of a conflict that is at work that is influenced by a powerful force. That's what literally it means. It says that there is a conflict at work. In other words, there's a powerful force that's at work in conflict against who you are. We wrestle. There's a conflict. How many of you know that there is a war going on? There is a battle being waged. How many of you know that the enemy is, is a destructive force, that he's a, he's a liar, he's a deceiver? There is a battle that's being waged even for our souls, but... Here's what 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 says. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. He said, I want you to be sober. I want you to be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now look at verse 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Verse 9. Here's what he says about that, that adversary that's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He said, in verse 9, he said, resist him. Somebody say, resist him. It says, be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So the things that you're going through, somebody else is going through. The same battle that you're engaged in, all of these things, the adversary wants to take you out, and he wants to take them out as well. But verse 10, but make the God of grace who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, 
perfect, established, strengthened, and settled you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, to resist literally means to stand your ground or not to be swayed in your faith. So he said, how do you combat? How do you wrestle? You resist. I just stand my ground. It doesn't say I, I, I put up my boots. It doesn't say that I, I shoot for a double leg. It doesn't say I hammer fist. It says I just stand my ground. Amen. I'm not going anywhere. I have people on the streets all the time walking by. And you know, they're usually walking by when they say it. They never stop and look at you and say They'll walk by and they'll say, shut up. You ever heard them say that? You heard my response? Shut me up. That's what I tell them. Because if they wanted me to shut up, they wouldn't say it as they was walking. They would come up nose to nose, toe to toe. They'd say, and I say, shut me up. And I usually follow that up with, you know what? 2,000 years ago, they pierced his hands and feet. They tried to shut him up. And he didn't shut up. He just got up three days later. And so my resistance is standing my ground. Why? Because I tell them, listen, let me prophesy over you for a second. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to keep walking, and I'm going to keep preaching. Uh-oh, I'm not going anywhere. Just give it just a minute. Give it just a minute, sir. That's what's going to happen. And you know what happens in a few minutes? They start walking, and we keep on preaching. Folks, that's what resistance is. It's I'm standing my ground. I'm not going to be wavered by, uh, in the faith. I'm, I'm not going to be intimidated by the adversary that goes about like a roaring lion seeking to be devour. I'm just going to stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58 says this. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 7 8. He says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And I love the next one. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Through our shouting loud enough. Through our calling enough stuff by name. Through me naming enough devils or, or having enough dreams or, or, or doing all these things or huckabucking on the devil or, or, or stomping my, my foot or, or driving wooden stakes in the ground with scriptures on it. Is that how he gives us the victory? No, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, it's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus. Anytime we try to bring a mixture into that equation, what we've done is we've created a God after our own image. And what we said is, you know what, God, I like, I like what you did, but let me just add a little bit of something to it. I, I love the fact that upon the cross of Calvary that, that Jesus poured out his blood. But you know what? Man, that may not have been enough. Let me put a little bit of extra something on it. Let me just give it a little bit more pump. Let me just add a little bit of drama to it. But it says that thanksgiving God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, oh, here it goes again. He said, I want you to be steadfast. There's that word again, steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we're talking once again about victory. We're talking about the battle. We're talking about contending with spiritual forces. And so what does this spiritual warfare in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 say? Just like 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Well, he tells us what to do. He says, A, here's your spiritual warfare pattern if you want the real biblical version of it. Number one, acknowledge that your victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's where my victory is. This is the victory that overcomes. Even my faith. My faith in what? The finished work of the cross of Calvary. As Pastor Jamie was sharing as we came to the Lord's table. Listen, it's the finished work of the cross. I want to know that. That's where my victory's at. My victory was bought for me on Calvary. My victory was not bought for me at Normandy Beach. Praise God for the, the, the soldiers that fought at Normandy Beach. But if they had never showed up, my victory is still on the cross of Calvary. My, my, my victory was not fought in Afghanistan. It wasn't fought in, in Fallujah. That's not who bought me victory. My victory wasn't because of old glory. It was because of the old rugged cross. That's where my victory comes from. Just because I was born in North America, it doesn't mean it's from the red, white, and blue. If I would have been born in, in, in Korea, if I would have been born in China, you know what? My victory still comes from the same place spiritually. And my eternity is going to be there because my citizenship is in heaven. And so my victory comes out of heaven. Do you hear me today? That's no slap on the military. But the military does their job. But Jesus did his job. And it was for my redemption. Why? Because the kingdoms, the military, all the things of this world are one day going to become the kingdoms of our God. Anytime I try to elevate something and usurp it above him and it's old glory rather than glory be to God, what have I done? 
I've done exactly what they did in June. I've just used another terminology for it. So the first thing I do, A, is to acknowledge that our victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. B, is to be steadfast. It's to be firm in your faith. How many of you know that each one of us has been given a measure of faith? Amen. We have. But how many of you know that uh, the disciples said, God, do what? Increase our faith. Give me more faith. Folks, how do you get more faith? I go to the source of faith, right? I, I submit myself to God. I resist the devil. He flees from me. And I, I get into God's word and I allow that source. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I hide the word of God in my heart. That way when the enemy comes, I can resist him just like Jesus resisted him in the temptation in the wilderness. It's written. It is written. It is written. Are you hungry? Well, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. Well, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Well, do this, do that. Well, uh, uh, Lord, take you on this pinnacle. I'm going to give you these things. Oh, no, 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 no. He uses the word of God. And so we've got to be steadfast in our faith, but you're only going to be steadfast to the degree that you stay in God's word. Because the second you get out of God's word, what happens? Your faith begins to deteriorate underneath your feet. And it's like something, it's like a flood ground swamp, uh, the ground being swamped with water in the flood ground and just washing out, just like the, 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 the canals and the levees did. What happened? Water got up underneath something. Why? Because they had never been really shored up properly. And so here's the, the, the third thing. We've got to, you've got to acknowledge the victories through him. You've got to be steadfast in the faith. And the third thing, he said, be unmovable. Don't get off course. Do you hear me? Set your face like a flint. Don't get uh, mesmerized by the junk happening over here. Don't get captivated by the, the, the dog and pony show over here. Don't get pulled into this skirmish over here. He said, just stay on course. Keep your, uh, keep your path narrow. Keep your path straight. Stay on course. Don't get caught up in the fluff. Don't get caught up in the pageantry. He said, just become very predictable. Make your way straight. And the final thing was his deep. He says, to abound in the work of the Lord. You know what to abound means? It means to exceed that which is normal. And so if you want some, you want some supercharged spiritual warfare, go above and beyond the call of duty. Don't just try to live the lowest common denominator and say, well, just poor old me. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, and hopefully I'll make it in one day. And in the meantime, you know, it's just a swing low, sweet chariot coming forward to carry me home. Lord God, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm not too happy about it. God, you know, thank you for the cross, but I don't have a whole lot of victory. Lord God, if it just wasn't for grandma or whatever it is. And so he says, you always got to abound and you've got to exceed what's normal. Folks, if I'm going to be in this thing called the walk of faith and then I'm going to walk with Jesus, why not go all the way? Amen. Do you hear me? Why not at the end of the day be, be the one that stands up and he says, well done. Not pretty good job, old boy, but be well done, my good and my faithful servant. Not, not, not pretty good, old boy. You, you, you tried real hard and you were on a journey and you don't, you just came up short. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take nothing from my journey's end. You know, at the end of the day, when I worked in the, in the secular field, when I worked in business, when I worked in banking, I had to work the same hours regardless of how good I did. But if I was going to be on that job, I wanted to work as unto the Lord. And you know what? I wanted a testimony. They said, you know what? That, about, that young man loves Jesus and his work is reflected in it. You hear what I'm saying? I wanted to be that. I wanted to represent Christ even in that place. And if I'm thinking, if i got to be here 40 or 50 hours a week working for these people, they're going to look at me and they're going, to, they're going to say, there's something different about that guy. It's because he serves the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, we've got to have that type of mentality. We've got to exceed those standards and say, you know what? I want to go the extra mile. No special formulas. No oil-filled super soakers. No waving of flags or banners. No quoting scriptures at the devil. No spiritually mapping of cities. None of those things are going to bring us any victory. All they are going to do is spend a little bit of breath and maybe make you feel good and provide a little bit of pageantry. But they are not going to change anything in the spiritual realm. Why? Because those things are not the marks of true biblical authority. And what they actually do is they put you in a place of usurping what God has told us to do. See, folks, how the trap is? It's not the things that seem so wrong that get us in trouble. There's a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Didn't you hear me? And we got together. We joined hands in a semicircle. And we swayed back and forth. And we were quoting King James vernacular and calling everything down. Yeah, you were. 
But sorry, that's just not what the Bible says is effective. You were usurping authority. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Here's what Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says. Here's where we've got to come to the realization right here. He said, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away from you. I love the way that that translation says it. You were dead because of your sin and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away from you. Then, somebody say then. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins. He cut those sins off of you. He obliterated those things. He cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And the word says that he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. What does it say? He, he canceled the record. What does that mean? There's no more record. And so it's not the day that one day we're going to stand before God as Christians and we, we know we're forgiven, we know we're saved, but man, all of our old sins are going to be played on this big projection screen for everybody to see. We're going to be utterly humiliated. We got this. Folks, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's Hollywood. That's some dramatization of the of, of Bible. If he obliterates those things, if he removes the record, there's no more charges against us. And so if we bring them up, it's just like the first time. He's saying, listen, I chose to cast those things into the sea of forgetfulness. I want to put those things as far as the east is from the west. I choose by my power and my sovereignty that I say I don't remember those things anymore. So why are you bringing them up? So there's where I really have victory in spiritual warfare. It says, it goes on to say, he nailed those to the cross. And this way he disarmed. Look, how did he do it? In this way, somebody say, this is the way that he disarmed the spiritual rulers of, of Ephesians chapter 6 and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them in the cross. Amen. So how did he disarm those powers and those principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this age and the spiritual wickedness in high places? He did it 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And so if I'm going to find victory, where am I going to find it? I'm not going to find it in a spiritual warfare uh, conference. I'm going to find it in Galatians 2.20 that I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives inside of me and the life that I live right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so all of my sins, all of my battles, all of those things were nailed to the cross of Calvary. And I've got a victory over sin. I've got a victory over the sin nature. Why? Because he obliterated those things. He made an open show of them and he triumphed over them in the cross of Calvary. Amen. And so why on earth would I want to go pick the fight with someone that's already been whooped? Saturday night we were on the streets and a guy came up and started talking to me. Strange, I just got to say, I'm a strange looking cat, but this guy was even stranger looking than me. He comes up and all of a sudden, three guys, uh, guys, you know, in their, in their early uh, early 30s, walked up and literally started patting him down. And they're like, stay away from that guy. He said he had a gun. He said he had a gun. I'm like, what are y'all doing? And so he, they keep like, he's like, what are you doing? He ended up punching one of them in the mouth. Now, typical Raven Street Church, don't get any ideas and try to, uh, you know, simulate that here at Crosslight. And so I kind of separated them just for a minute. Some of you guys saw this uh, unfolding. And, and, and the guy said, well, he said, he said he had a gun. I said, let me just tell you a little something about Bourbon Street. People with guns don't tell you they have guns. They just shoot you with the gun. Then you know they have a gun. They're not going to telegraph the fact that they have a gun. And I told him the reason that he had told you, they said, well, we saw him. We, we, we started hollering at him because he was fighting with some other homeless guy. And I said, so the reason he told you he had a gun it's because there's three of you and one of him. I said, think like the streets. And so he wants to tell you there may be three of you and one of me, but I've got a buddy tucked away. It's called a pistol with a, a clip with about nine rounds in it. I said, he don't have a gun. He just didn't want three guys jumping on him. So leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. It's over. Now, what ended up happening? The same three guys ended up following him down the street, and the guy came back later with his nose sideways. One of the three guys, nose sitting sideways, just like this, blood all over his shirt. He's like, you, you told us to leave him alone, and, and look what he did to us. I said, well, you followed him down the street. The fight was over. The battle was done, but you followed him down the street, and you got your lights punched out. And he's like, well, I was just trying to reason with him. I said, you were trying to reason with someone that was unreasonable. And look what happened to you. Now you're blowing your nose behind your left ear. I said, you're picking a fight that you didn't need to pick. 
Now, folks, listen. That guy was ridiculous. You know what else? The guy was a cop from Toledo, Ohio that got his nose laid over. And I said, your first problem was frisking the guy down. I said, if you thought he had something, you should have got a uniform and told him this guy may have a pistol and let him handle it. I said, now your nose is pointing the wrong direction, and this guy's walking down the street unencumbered by the, by the, the police officers. Now, folks, listen, we, we do that. that we, wanna, we got saved, and we got victory through faith in the finished work of the cross. So why are we going to go engage somebody that's already been whooped? Because once we do that and we step outside the realm of faith, we're stepping into the realm of rebellion, and he will lay your nose sideways on you. You hear what I'm saying? As long as you're in that place, living that crucified life, if you're living in that place of victory, you're not going to get your face punched in by the adversary. He is not going to have authority over you. He's not going to have dominion over you. But if you step out of the authority that God has got you underneath, and you set yourself up for that, what's going to end up happening? You're picking a fight that is already over. You're engaging an adversary on his territory, the territory of rebellion, the territory of Balaam, the territory of, 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 of Korah, the ter territory of these ones that, 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 uh, that uh, came, that, that rejected God. And so you're stepping into a realm that you cannot win in. Because the fight is fixed over there for him, just like it's fixed at the cross for you and I. And so he said, don't step outside of that realm. And this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed the public in his victory over the cross. So don't be seduced away from the truth into some super spiritual nonsense. Stay faithful to the cross. Stay faithful to the victory that it already has. As Pastor Sam has preached many times, stop trying to fight for victory and start fighting from victory. Because this is still the victory that overcomes even our faith. 1 Timothy 4.1, though, here's why it happens. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in later times some will depart from the faith. Some are going to get stepped out from under that authority into a place of rebellion, and they'll give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Another translation says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, last time some will turn away from the true faith, They'll follow the deceptive spirits and the teachings that come straight from demons. You know what that is? They're being seduced. Hey, come over here and fight me. Come around the corner. They're trying to draw you out from a place of covering and a place of victory to a place of humiliation and to, to, to a place of, 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 of usurpation of authority. That's what he does. Let me get you into a realm. Now, if I tried to seduce you and I'd said, listen, I know you're a solid brother in the Lord. I know you. Now, I'm not going to seduce you and say, hey, why don't you come over here, brother, and, uh, and, and carve 666 in your head. You're not going to do that, are you? Why? Because you'd realize that that's in direct the defiance of God. That would be a rebellious thing to do. But if I seduced you over and said, man, let's do some spiritual warfare. Shoot some oil on me. Start shouting at me. Now, that seems a little bit more appealing. Why? Because it's a little... Well, benign, and I'm empowering you, and I'm telling you, you're combating me. I'm telling you, oh, don't come over here with that spiritual warfare stuff. Don't come over here with that stuff because I'm afraid of you. But what am I doing? I'm seducing you over. I'm making myself look small in order to bring you into a battle that you can't win. Because that's what seducing spirits do. They want you to engage an adversary that's already been defeated. So spiritual warfare stuff, what it does, it serves to glorify demons by wrongly drawing attention to them rather than simply testifying as to the victory that we have through the finished work of the cross of Calvary. This is what it does. It empowers them. It, it makes them uh, greater than they really are. It, rather than calling them out and saying who they are and what they've done, what it does, it elevates them and creates this spooky type of environment. Folks, we faced that the very first time that we came to New Orleans in 1996. These people that invited us to come to the streets, they created this spooky thing. Oh, watch it when you go down there. Now, we had been here before. You know, we've seen the TV shows and all this stuff. you got to watch it, man. That stuff would jump all over you. Whoa, really? So what we do? Man, we geared up. Man, I look back and I'm thinking, I can't believe we did that. Man, we were storming like some stormtroopers goose walking down the street on people. I mean, we were, we were very threatening type folks. Why? Because, man, we thought at any time the devil was going to come after us. And, man, we were going to beat that cat to the punch. Man, we were some mean folks. We thought the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And if you don't know what that looks like, come here, buddy, and I'm going to show you what it looks like. <laughs> but after you spend some time on the streets, you realize that drunk kid is the same kid that's mowing his grass three days ago down the street from you. You realize that that rebellious man that's, that's walking down the streets, uh, 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 turning his nose up at you, 
You know, he's the, he's the same guy that, that, that works at that bank down the road. Well, what's he been? He's been empowered by this illusion of the environment. And so all you got to do is step into that environment just like you'd step into this environment. Why? Because I'm still in Christ. I'm hidden in him. I'm, 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 I'm walking in that realm. I'm, I'm crucified with Jesus. I'm walking in that authority regardless of where I am. And so once again, what about Ephesians 6, 12 through 18? Wrestling not against flesh and blood, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, somebody say, therefore. He said, here's how you combat those things. He said, you take unto yourself the whole armor of God. Then you'll be able to withstand, right? In the evil done, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Here's what he said. I'm going to tell you, after you, when you do what I'm about to tell you, you've done everything you can do. He didn't say, do this and add a few things to it. But he said, after you've done this, then you'll be able to stand. Oh, let's see what he said. Stand there for Having your loins girded about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, and the feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith, where able you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, helmet of salvation, sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication of the spirit, watching thereunto all perseverance and supplication of the saints. So notice how we deal with these powers, principalities, rules of darkness, spiritual wickedness. You put on the armor of God. Okay? What is it? Well, it's truth, right? It's righteousness, right? It's feet shot. It's discipleship. It's faith. It's the mind of Christ. It's the word of God. It's a super soaker full of oil. It's a Jesus laser beam. I'm sorry. I added a few of those to it. No, folks, it ends right there at the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what am I doing? I am putting on Jesus. You hear me say he said, you just stand and put on Jesus, and he's going to give you the victory. Amen. He is your victory. Yep. The victory is yours in Christ, but the battle is his. Why? Because he has already won that battle. Now, folks, what happens, we get sucked into this thing about, read something to you. Matthew 16, 19. Matthew 16, 19. Talk to you a little, just a little bit in the time that I have left. About something else I think is so misappropriated, misunderstood. Matthew 16, 19, the Lord says this. He said, talking to Peter, he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom, right? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, folks, I, I hear people binding and loosening and doing all these things totally outside the realm of contextual evidence, totally outside the, the, the realm of biblical authority. So when he's talking about binding and loosing here, what he's implying is decisions or allowing or forbidding matters on earth which are agreed upon or supported in heaven. That's what he's talking about. Whatever you bind, it was a common Hebraic terminology that says, listen, the agreement that you have, that you make here on earth is an agreement that came down from heaven. In other words, you're functioning in agreement with what God has already established. Amen. It's just like John 7, 24. Don't, don't judge with outward appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. When I, when I make a righteous judgment, what am I doing? I am making a binding judgment. So whatever you bind on earth, you bind it in agreement with what heaven has said. Don't judge unless you're willing to be judged by the same judgment. How can I say to my brother or try to remove the speck from my brother's eye unless I first remove the plank from my own? He said, but first get in agreement with heaven. Pull the plank out of your own eye. That way when you judge, when you bind... What are you doing? You're making a covenant binding agreement with what heaven's already said. So he's not talking about shouting at devils. He said, I want to get in spiritual agreement with what God has already determined through his word. And so binding and loosing isn't coming up with the right abracadabra or the right phraseology or the, the spiritual warfare nomenclature. What it's coming into agreement with what God's word has already said. Amen. And so when I'm walking in that, well, it's, 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 I'm taking matters in whatever area. And so if I've got a matter of marriage, what do I do? I'm binding and loosing. I'm speaking to that marriage in agreement with God's word. If I have an issue with child rearing, what am I doing? I'm binding and loosing. I'm, 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 I'm 
getting into a binding agreement with what God's word already says. If I want to preach the gospel to the lost, what am I doing? Whatever I bind on earth has been bound in heaven. I've got an agreement. He has chosen the foolishness of preaching the gospel to save those which believe. And so what do I do? I preach the gospel to the lost. I don't preach the gospel and say, well, you know what? But maybe if I'm just a buddy of theirs and I buy them a pizza and give them a water bottle. No, it says I preach the gospel. Why? Because what you save them with is what you save them to. That's what the word tells us. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man would be able to boast. And so I make I make the word of God that thing that, that ratifies that covenant that I have with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what binding and loosing is, folks. It's not this spiritual warfare trick, and you've got to know all the right type of things. And so we notice the binding and loosing powers given to Christians involved in church life. Notice that. Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Still talking about, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Upon this picture, upon this big rock, Peter, little rock, he said, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's talking about from a church governmental standpoint of getting agreement with the word. He's not talking about a spook show. You hear what I'm saying? And so when I look, you have an offense against a brother. We can turn there. Matthew chapter 18. I'll just quote it. Matthew 18, you got an offense against a brother. You, 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 take, you go to that brother, and if that brother forgives you, you're restored. You've restored a brother, and you've won a brother. If he doesn't, what do you do? You take a witness. And if he receives you, 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 you've won a brother. If he doesn't, what does he tell you to do? You take it before the church, right? Now look what he goes on to say. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there are in the midst. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So two or more gathered in his name is not for a deep worship service. We always like that. When nobody shows up, oh, hallelujah. There's only three of us, but we're two or more gathered in my name. They're not in the midst. No, we're ones in his name. He's in the midst. He's omnipresent. We don't have to wait. wait to, man, I hope somebody else shows up so Jesus will show up. No, he's already here. You see how we say that stuff over and over again? It sounds, sounds real spiritual. No, he's talking about a covenant agreement. He's saying, listen, what I've done is I, I put you in agreement. I've set an authority structure within the confines of the church. And when you function in that, what you've done is it's ratified in heaven. Why? Because it's ratified through the word of God. Amen? Does it make, start to make sense to you? And so that, 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 that binding loosening is intended to go, not to go after evil spirits. It was to settle matters within the church. Um, I want, to, I want to cover something else. I think I got a little, maybe a little time. Direct or indirect confrontation of evil spirits. Direct or indirect confrontation. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. Combating territorial spirits, combating spirits of poverty and spirits of you name it, it's just not biblical. Period. You'll, you'll never see just what he said. Even, even Michael, contending with the archangel, continuing to say, he, he, well, you know what he said? He said, hey, God, he said, God rebuke you. I'm not going to have a direct confrontation with you, is what he said concerning those spiritual matters. The only time that we're going to find in the scripture where there's a direct confrontation is the personal possession that the adversary comes into somebody's life. It's the only time. Not a territorial thing, not a spirit of poverty, not a spirit of this or a spirit of that. It's when the adversary violated his authority and he comes over to where we're at. Do you hear the difference? Now, it's not when we step outside of our realm and go to his, we do that. Where we have authority is when the adversary usurps the authority of God and he comes to our territory. Okay? What allowed that? Well, it was the cult, the cross of Calvary. Once the cross of Calvary uh, uh, happened, once the blood of Jesus hit, what did it do? It paid the price for all men's sins. And so what it did, it cut off that sin of Adam through one man's sin, centered an end. But through one man's righteousness, many were made righteous. And so what it did, it put a block up and it says, listen, you don't have that authority any longer. That authority's won back. The, the ransom was paid for, so to speak. And so if you come and you, you, you want to walk in possession, what you're doing is you're walking outside the realm of your authority. And so that's where he gives us the authority to walk in direct confrontation to the enemy. Why? Because now he's on our side. And so if I've got a person that is demonized, it's demon-possessed. I have authority over them. I can bind that spirit. If you want to use that terminology, I can stand in an agreement with what the Word of God says, and I can rebuke that devil and cast that devil out of them. 
That's what genuine deliverance ministry looks like. It's not all this spooky stuff. It's saying, listen, you are trespassing. You are outside of your realm of authority. I don't have to let them wiggle around on the ground and act like a snake. I don't have to have them spitting up in bucks. I don't have to do that. I don't have to suffer them to speak in the presence of the servant of the Most High. I have that authority over them in this realm. You hear what I'm saying? And so what happens, though, is we want the entertainment value. Years ago, when I first got uh, first started pastoring, uh, the church that, that Mel and I were in, uh, I, I teased, it's really not teasing, the first six months, I think every demon-possessed person in the city came to our church. We lived in, you know, we lived in, on the north side, north side, the wrong side of town. And so all the homeless, everything from homeless to prostitution to, to gangbangers to everything under unsavory people would always come in. And so back then, you know what? Man, I'd let that, that devil stuff kind of run amok because it was entertaining. Man, I'd have them on the floor. I'd have them spitting blood, their eyes turning color, all that type of thing. And it was a good show. True story. I thought I was supposed to allow them to do that stuff because I'd heard other people doing that stuff. What is your name? I wouldn't want to take them to dinner. I just want them out of my church. <laughs> but we've seen that stuff. And so you just do it. I'm just 24 years old. Man, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Hallelujah. Storming around and doing all that stuff. But one night, we had a guest speaker from the Gideons that came in. The guy looked just like over Redbox. True story. I mean, spinning image of what had the little bow tie and the, and the, 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 the gray hair and the little round glasses. And so, over Redenbacher, I can't remember the guy's name at the time, he said about five rows back, it was on a Wednesday night, for whatever reason we had him on a Wednesday, and he was going to take about 10 to 15 minutes and give us the Gideon report. Well, things never did work according to plan in that place. And so, I'm there, I'm there preaching, and all of a sudden, there's a guy in the back, his name was Raymond. Middle of summer, hot is all get out in our building. We, we was real consistent. It was always real hot in the summer and always real cold in the wintertime. So we always knew what to expect at our church. And so he was walking back like a caged cat in the back of the church, back and forth. I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to turn out well tonight. And all of a sudden, this guy starts running down the center aisle of the church. And probably the church was as long as this thing is wide. And he's making a beeline towards me. And so I was rolling about 300 pounds at the time. Now, if you're going to make a beeline, make a beeline at me now thinner and older, but not 24 and 300 pounds. That is like a juggernaut. You know, I'm just stand, stand side. You hit me with a jug and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just too fat to move. And so he's running up the, 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 the thing at me and, and, and Orville Redenbach is sitting back there with his little stack of papers wanting to give the Gideon report. And I just step out of the pulpit and I lay hands on that guy and boom, he's on the floor. Well, he's there writhing around on the floor. The Lord spoke to my heart. He said, get him up. He said, I didn't put him down there. He put himself down there because he didn't want you to deal with him. <laughs> he said, he's been in Pentecostal church. He knows once they get on the floor, you're thinking, oh, hallelujah. Think, he ain't free. He's running. And so this big old 300-pound white boy in North Amarillo picked him up by the nap of the neck, and I just stood that cat up. And I was praying for him just like a yo-yo right there. <laughs> Finally, he stood up, and my sister-in-law, some of you guys know uh, uh, Christy Bond, she's on the front row, and this guy, his eyes are is dark like mine, and he turns around at my sister-in-law and says something demonic and looks back at me, and his eyes went eyes blue. Now, that's all over Redenbacher need to see. All I saw was the bottom of his shoes exiting stage right, never to be seen again. Now, we went on for about 15 minutes getting entertained by this demonic guy flopping over, knocking furniture over and everything. And you know what? Sad to say, he left just as bound. But boy, we were patting ourselves on the chest saying, man, look what we did. Look what we did. We didn't do anything. We ran one guy off and entertained the folks for just a little bit, and that's it. And oh, yeah, look at that devil running. Well, that devil ain't running. That devil just ran our business. He changed the direction of our service. He became a spectacle. He put himself on display. That's all he did. Why? Because we were more interested in, in entertaining and dealing with that stuff and seeing the manifestation rather than just walking in authority and saying, listen, sit down and shut up and come out of him in the name of Jesus. Fortunately, later on, that's what we started doing. We're not going to put up with that stuff. I don't have to put up with that nonsense. And so, folks, we have the authority in those places just to calm that stuff down and say, I don't have to do that. Why? Because those things are subject to us when we're operating where we need to operate. And so, uh, closing out. So that's what Jude was addressing. He's like, listen, there's a spiritual warfare situation. People are usurping their position of authority, trying to deal with stuff. They're, they're speaking evil against dictators. All these type of things, saying all this, this scurrilous type of things. 
that you don't have any right to say. And he called it false teaching. See, folks, false teaching isn't all those things that, that we think of. Sometimes it's that stuff that seems so fun and so entertaining and so neat and so powerful. Why? Because that stuff's an easier sell for folks like us. Let me sell them something that, that kind of caters to where they came from, or their past, or their traditions, or their history, then I can seduce them away. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord God. Father, we, we want to learn. Lord God, we, I, I want to learn. Lord God, I don't want to make the same mistakes today that I was making 25 years ago, Lord God. I, I want to gain in wisdom. Lord God. You said if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God if he's that liberally and upbraids not. Lord God, I don't want to be holding, Lord God, to those things. And Father, what I hope is, Lord God, that, that these people, Lord God, Father, especially the, these young ones are just coming into the gospel, coming to answer their calling, Lord God. Father, they, they hear some of the things that we went through, and they learn from my mistakes, Lord God. They wouldn't have to, to, to go through that nonsense. They wouldn't have to go through, Lord God, all those tests and those trials. They could, they could say, you know what? Praise God that somebody shared with me something that's going to cause me to be able to avoid some of those pitfalls. Father, we thank you for your word that's unchanging. Lord God, we thank you for the victory that's in the cross of Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.